Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiBienzo. It is now one minute past 6 p.m. Good evening. Mickey D's reopens under new management in Moscow. A rally against guns across America. Armed neo-Nazis caught stalking a pride march in Idaho. And day two of the January 6th hearings. What did Trump know? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, June 13th, 2022. The S&P 500 stock index ended the day more than 20% below its record January 3rd closing high, confirming a bear market meaning stocks are heading broadly down and a recession is possible. It's the first time the S&P 500 has confirmed a bear market since the 2020 Wall Street plunge brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. Increasing worries about inflation and the U.S. central bank's monetary policy tightening as it attempts to quell it have fueled much of the recent sell-off. Major United States stock indexes on Friday posted their biggest weekly percentage decline since January and ended sharply lower after a report showed a steeper-than-expected rise in U.S. consumer prices in May. And in international news, Russian forces tightened their grip on the eastern Ukrainian city of Sieviero, Donetsk, today, cutting off the last routes for evacuating citizens in a scene that echoed last month's siege of the port of Mariupol. Regional Governor Sergei Gaidai said on social media that all bridges out of the city had been destroyed making it impossible to bring in humanitarian cargoes or evacuate citizens. He says 70% of the small industrial city, now the focus of one of the bloodiest battles of the war, was under Russian control, but that the remaining Ukrainian defenders were not completely blockaded. Russia's RIA news agency quoted a pro-Moscow separatist spokesperson as saying Ukrainian troops were effectively blockaded and should surrender or die. The Ukrainian government has been pleading for the West to provide more heavy weapons. Meanwhile, in Moscow, a different scene altogether, three months after McDonald's suspended operations in Russia, hundreds of people streamed into its famous former outlet on Moscow's Pushkin Square as the restaurant reopened under a Russian owner and a new name. In March, McDonald's halted operations of its company-run restaurants in Russia, although some run by franchisees stayed open. The action by the multinational fast food chain was among the most visible responses by foreign companies to Russia sending troops into Ukraine. Two months later, McDonald's decided to leave Russia altogether and sold its 850 restaurants to Alexander Govor, who held licenses for 25 franchises in Siberia. Govar is fast moving to reopen the shuttered outlets. It wasn't until a couple of hours before the Pushkin Square restaurant opened that the Russian chain's new name was announced. Vikuzno i Tochka, or Tasty Period. Food has become a weapon in the nearly four months of war. Ukraine is the world's fourth largest grain exporter, and it says there are some 30 million tons of grain stored in Ukrainian-held territory, which it's trying to export via road, river, and rail. Moscow, which calls the war a special military operation and denies hitting civilian and agricultural targets, blames Western sanctions on Russia and sea mines set by Ukraine for the drop in food exports and rising global prices. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said during a press conference in Ankara, Turkey, 
we are trying to do is to um, give the minimum amount of damage to uh, civilians. The food crisis, the food security crisis is not actually stemming from uh, this war. We cannot say that this situation will cause a food crisis. Of course, if anyone tries to understand, really comprehend what we are trying to say, they can, definitely. We are constantly opening up humanitarian corridors for the safe passage of people. This is a long corridor, so everyone and every ship, every vessel uh, wishing to use these passageways and corridors can actually transfer load and they can act whatever way they please. The Russian Federation is not creating any obstacle for the passage of ships or uh, vessels. We are not preventing anything. Lavrov is speaking at a conference being held in Singapore. The war in Ukraine dominated proceedings at the Singapore meeting, the Shangri-La Dialogue. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the delegates via video link on Saturday, telling them their nation's support was crucial, not just to defeat the Russian invasion, but to preserve what he called a rules-based order. And national news. Thousands of people rallied on the National Mall and across the United States on Saturday in a renewed push for gun control measures after recent deadly mass shootings from Evalde, Texas to Buffalo, New York, that activists say should compel Congress to act. Yolanda King, granddaughter of Martin Luther King Jr., said this time is different because it isn't about politics. It's about morality. Because we've had enough. We've had enough of having more guns than people here in America. We've had enough of kids being afraid to go to school, grown-ups being afraid to go to grocery stores, and families who look like my family being afraid to go to their houses of worship. This time is different, because this isn't about politics. It's about morality. Not right and left, but right and wrong. And that doesn't just mean thoughts and prayers. That means courage and action. That was Yolanda King. She's the granddaughter of Martin Luther King Jr. Senate bargainers on Sunday announced the framework of a bipartisan response to last month's mass shootings, a noteworthy but limited breakthrough offering modest gun curbs and stepped up efforts to improve school safety and mental health programs. The proposal falls far short of tougher steps long sought by President Biden and many Democrats. Even so, the accord was embraced by Biden and enactment would signal a significant turnabout after years of gun massacres that have yielded little but stalemate in Congress. Biden said in a statement that the framework does not do everything that I think is needed, but it reflects important steps in the right direction. Given the bipartisan support, there are no excuses for delay and no reason why it should not quickly move through the Senate and the House. Karine Jean-Pierre is White House press secretary. She echoed those sentiments today at a press conference. So the text is now going to, to be written, so we're going to allow uh, the negotiators to go through that process. Uh, what uh, what we do believe and what the president has said is this is a historic agreement, uh, and it's the most significant uh, legislation that we have seen to reduce gun violence uh, since more than uh, 20 years. And so it's a bipartisan. Uh, the president is pleased to see this as a step forward. Uh, as we know, uh, you know, this is about saving lives. And so uh, the president is going to, uh, wants to see Congress act. He wants to see this on his desk uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, and, uh, and that's, and that's going to be our focus. 
And that's Corrine Jean-Pierre. She is the White House press secretary. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he's ready to move once he gets a bill. Yesterday, Democratic and Republican negotiators announced an agreement on a framework for bipartisan gun safety legislation, bringing the Senate one step closer to finally, finally responding to the plague of gun violence that afflicts our nation, terrorizes our children. For the first time in a long time, the Senate has a path forward on legislation that will save lives, reduce gun violence, and keep our community safe. Make no mistake about it, we have a lot of work left to do before we actually pass a bill. But yesterday's announcement was a positive and necessary step in the right direction. Now comes the important work of turning this framework into legislation and legislative language that can pass Congress and be signed by the President. We must continue working with the urgency that this moment demands, because if we can save even one life from gun violence, it will well be worth it. And that is the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Meanwhile, today, President Biden told reporters that he is, in fact, a gun owner himself. He said he owns two shotguns. And a 23-year-old self-declared leader of the alt-right was among 31 people arrested for a planned riot on an Idaho Pride event last Saturday, a large-scale detention that saw the members of the pro-white Patriot Front charged with criminal conspiracy. These guys stopped a U-Haul full of dudes, masked up. Tell me what they were stopped for. Can you tell me what they were stopped for? You don't know. What are they being arrested for? No, dude, I don't know these guys. I don't think so. Dad? You in there? I don't, I don't think I'm related, man. No body armor, man. Currently being held without bail, Thomas Ryan Rousseau, who along with his followers are faced with felonies for the alleged offense that could see them jailed for up to five years, found the white supremacist group in 2017 at just age 18 after starting pro-white, a pro-white group called Vanguard America when he was 16. Rousseau and dozens of other mass members of the group, which preaches its white nationalist ideology with propaganda shared on social media, were arrested near Coeur d'Alene in northwest Idaho. Police say the group, massed and decked out in military gear when apprehended, were plotting to incite chaos at a gay pride event in Coeur d'Alene City Park and had been packed in a rented U-Haul truck when they were pulled over by the officers. A press conference was held. Here's police chief Lee White of Coeur d'Alene. It would be very similar to an operations plan that a police or military group would uh, put together for a days of, uh, for an event. And it was just one charge of conspiracy to riot per person? I don't know if additional charges, they might be pending um, based on, uh, you know, other things that might be found during the booking process and things of that nature. But at this point, each of those 31 individuals has only been charged with conspiracy to riot. There was at least one smoke grenade. Um, there was multiple shields. Uh, they were all wearing hats that had um, uh, plastic inside them, um, shin guards, shields, things of that nature. Did know about some of the threats that were happening online. And yes, there were people walking around the event with long guns and handguns and bear spray and all kinds of things like that. Uh, none of that's illegal in Idaho. It's only to the point when they start using it that we grow really concerned. Cops said they were tipped off about the group's planned strike from a concerned citizen who saw that dozens of men load up into the truck 
quote, like a little army. Those arrested, including founder Rousseau, were all confirmed to be part of the group, which was started by the teen in 2017, shortly after the Unite the Right rallies in Charleston, Virginia, that summer, which he attended with members of his former group, as mentioned earlier, Vanguard America. Today was day two in the House hearings into the January 6th uprising at the United States Capitol, brought on, it seems, by President Trump for the purpose of trying to prevent the orderly transfer of power to President Joe Biden. Representative Benny Thompson, who's the chair of the committee, said that President Trump, in fact, attempted to overturn the will of the people. End of a campaign, it all comes down to the numbers. The numbers tell you the winner and the loser. For the most part, the numbers don't lie. But if something doesn't add up with the numbers, you go to court to get resolution. And that's the end of the line. We accept those results. That's what it means to respect the rule of law. That's what it means to seek elective office in our democracy. Because those numbers aren't just numbers, they're votes. They're your votes. They are the will and the voice of the people. And the very least we should expect from any person seeking a position of public trust is the acceptance of the will of the people, win or lose. Donald Trump didn't. He didn't have the numbers. He went to court. He still didn't have the numbers. He lost. But he betrayed the trust of the American people. He ignored the will of the voters. He lied to his supporters and the country, and he tried to remain in office after the people had voted him out, and the courts upheld the will of the people. And that's Representative Benny Thompson. B.J. Pack is a former United States attorney for Georgia. He recounted today the story of uh, when he was asked by Attorney General Barr to look into a allegation that was made by Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, former New York City mayor Rudy Giuliani, that ballots were seen being taken from under a table and then added to the count, apparently in an attempt to aid President Trump. In fact, it turned out, as Pack describes, it was just part of the normal procedures for counting the legitimate ballots. We that the suitcase full of ballots, the alleged black suitcase that was being seen pulled from under the table was actually an, an official lockbox where um, ballots were kept safe. We found out that there was a mistake in terms of this misunderstanding that they were done counting ballots or tallying ballots for the night. And the, the partisan uh, watchers that was assigned by each of the respective parties were announced to send home. But once they realized the mistake, someone from the Secretary of State's office had indicated that, no, 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 we're not done for the night. You need to go ahead and, and continue counting. So once they packed up the lockbox full of ballots, they brought back the official ballot box again and continued to uh, tally the ballots from that, from the, the lockbox. That was actually an official ballot box that would kept underneath the, the tables. And then they, we saw them pack up because the announcement that they thought they were done for the night. And then once the announcement was made that you should continue counting, they brought the ballot box back out and they continued to count. And that was B.J. Pack, a former U.S. attorney from Georgia. It turned out that on election night, the president was unhappy 
with the advice he was getting from his more traditional campaign managers and advisors who were telling him that he should really say nothing and wait to see if the election turned out in his favor, which was becoming more and more unlikely to the experts who were watching. Uh, instead, Trump went off to begin what many call his big lie of election fraud, uh, which then became more and more escalation, uh, which were escalated over the days and weeks leading up to the January 6th invasion of the Capitol. Jason Miller is a top advisor to the Trump campaign. He said the uh, source of the idea to claim that Trump had won the election came from a uh, sort of tip tipsy uh, former mayor Giuliani. You had heard that Mr. Giuliani wanted to talk to the president and then he was directed your way. Did you end up talking to Mr. Giuliani when he was directed your way? I did. What was that conversation? A lot of conversations were directed my way. <laughs> uh, um, a few of us, myself, Jason Miller, Justin Clark, and Mark Meadows, gathered um, in a room off the map room uh, to to listen uh, to, to whatever Rudy presumably wanted to say to the president. Was there anyone in that conversation who, in your observation, had had, had too much to drink? Uh, Giuliani. Tell me more about that. What was your observation about his uh, potential intoxication during that, that discussion about what the president should say uh, when he's addressed the nation on election night? And the mayor was definitely intoxicated, but I do not um, know that his level of intoxication when he spoke uh, with the president, for example. Were you part of any discussions uh, with uh, the, the people I mentioned, Mr. Stepien, Mr. Meadows, or anyone else, about whether the president should make uh, any sort of speech on election night? And that was Bill Stepien, Donald Trump's campaign manager. Questions then turned more directly to the advice that Rudy Giuliani gave to Trump, leading to the following exchanges. I, I, I mean, I, I spoke to the president. They may have been present, but um, president spoke to the president several times that night. There are suggestions by, I believe it was Mayor Giuliani to go and declare victory and say that we won it outright. It was far too early to be making any calls like that. Ballots were still being counted. Ballots were still going to be counted for days. Um, and it was far too early to be making any proclamation like that. Okay. Can you be more specific about that conversation, in particular what Mayor Giuliani said, your response, and then anybody else in the room's response? I think effectively Mayor Giuliani was saying, we want it. They're stealing it from us. Where'd all the votes come from? We need to go say that we won. And essentially that anyone who didn't agree with that position was being weak. What was your view at the time as to what he should or shouldn't say? My recommendation was to say that votes were still being counted. It's too early to, to, to tell, too early to, to call the race. But, um, you know, we are uh, proud of the race we, we run, we ran. And we, you know, think we're think we're in a in, in good position, and we'll have more to say about this, you know, the next day. 
And that was some of the testimony today. This sometimes seemingly silly events that were happening in the White House as the uh, returns were coming in on election night 2020 had a real effect that could have been dangerous was uh, heard from so many of the participants at the January 6th Stop the Steal rally moments before thousands of uh, Trump supporters entered the United States Capitol, invaded the Capitol in order to put an end or to stop the peaceful transfer of power. This is the effect that uh, Giuliani and Trump's words had on those participants. Today, we'll end things where we did on Thursday, back on January 6th, hearing words of individuals who wanted to stop the transfer of power. We know they were there because of Donald Trump. Now we hear some of the things they believed. Without objection, I enter into the record a video presentation. I know exactly what's going on right now. Fake election. They think they're going to f***ing cheat us out of our vote and put Congress f***ing Biden in office. It ain't f***ing happening today, buddy. You voted? Yes, sir. How'd it go? Voted early. It went well, except for uh, the... Can't, can't really trust the software. Dominion software all over. We voted, and right in the top right-hand corner of the Dominion voting machine that we used, there was a Wi-Fi symbol with five bars. So that most definitely connected to the internet, without a doubt. So they stole that from us twice. We're not doing it anymore. We're not taking it anymore. So we're standing up, we're here, and whatever happens, we're not laying down again. 200,000 people that weren't even registered voted. 430,000 votes disappeared. From President Trump's talent, and you can't stand there and tell me that it worked. I don't want to say that what we're doing is right. But if the election is being stolen, what is it going to take? <laughs> Dominion voting machines are at the center of the Trump Trump's legal false legal argument that Venezuela and its long deceased leader were somehow uh, responsible or had control over the voting uh, machines and uh, influenced the vote count, which was uh, taken as almost laughable. It was not the uh, most laughable event, though, at today's hearing. Former Attorney General William Barr could barely hold back his laughter at the mere mention of a um, movie made by election-denying uh, Trump-supporting pundit Dinesh D'Souza's uh, fact-averse, as it's called, movie 2000 Mules, a quasi-documentary that claims that uh, so-called mules were sent by the Democrats and the Biden campaign to bring fraudulent uh, ballots to different voting uh, machines or voting polling locations throughout the city of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the film has been touched on uh, here on WBAI where uh, it's basically – brings laughs, and today was no different. The election was not stolen by fraud. I haven't seen anything since the election that changes my mind on that, including the 2000 Mules movie. <laughs> well, maybe you can uh, assess that 2000 Mules, and people are talking about that. Well, I mean, just in a nutshell, you know, I just think the GBI was unimpressed with it. 
And I was similarly unimpressed with it because I think if you, because uh, I was holding my fire on that to see what the photographic evidence was because I thought, well, hell, if they have a lot of photographs of the same person dumping a lot of ballots in different boxes, you know, that's hard to explain. Um, so I wanted to see what the photographic evidence was. But the uh, cell phone data is, is singularly unimpressive. I mean, it basically, if you take two million uh, cell phones and, and figure out where they are physically in a big city like Atlanta or wherever, just by definition, you're going to find many hundreds of them have passed by and spent time in the vicinity of these boxes. And the premise that, you know, if you go by a box, you know, five boxes or whatever it was, you know, that that's a mule is just indefensible. Former Attorney General Bill Barr, in a situation I've rarely ever seen him in, if, if ever, in his time as Attorney General and uh, his time in public service, actually breaking a smile and laughing about something. And finally, Zoe Lofgren, the representative Zoe Lofgren, uh, was questioned outside the hearings and asked if the fact that Donald Trump and his supporters used the uh, their allegations that it was a fake election to raise millions of dollars from their supporters, money that was never actually used to uh, fight this battle that Trump says was uh, false or fraudulent ballots used to force him out of office and a fake election, uh, that using money, raising money, and then using it for something different or a different purpose is something that might come under the criminal statutes. And Lofgren was asked that today. We're a legislative committee, and it's clear that he uh, intentionally misled his donors, asked them to donate to a fund that didn't exist, and used um, the money raised for something other than what he said. Now, it's for someone else to decide whether that's criminal or not. That's not the purview of a legislative committee. Democratic representative from California, Zoe Lofgren. And that's some of the news for Monday, June 13, 2022. The news produced Linda Perry, our engineers, Rich Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. And the previous program was the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo, her daily 